Yeah, it's it's an. I wanted to play that um, because it stirred my heart. Just like Kathleen is saying, it stirred my heart. Um, watching this group perform throughout the America's Got Talent. Um, go go back and go watch their first performance, and then watch they've done four. But there's something of the sound, exactly like you're saying. There's something of the sound that is coming out of what they're giving to the world that is expressing something of what God is doing in this nation. And it's, it's that move of the Spirit of God in our nation that the enemy is trying to quench and stifle and destroy by, by speaking another narrative, a narrative of violence, a narrative of hatred. Um, but if you listen to their stories, and they, they play some of their stories, you can go on YouTube and listen to their stories. You hear the stories of where they've come from. They've come, some of those girls have come out of sexual abuse, out of physical abuse in their homes, out of fatherlessness, out of hopelessness. And they in the final this coming week, but they've already made it. And, and it's, it's a declaration of what God can do with people who have hope, who put their hope in something greater. And don't just look at their circumstances and rise above that. And it's something of what God is saying and speaking to our nation, I believe. And it's something that I believe God wants to say to us this morning. Even in the midst of all of the pain, in the midst of the suffering that is happening, and the things that we have looked at this morning, I do believe God's message to us is a message of hope. It's really a message of hope and of what God is going to do through our nation and to put our focus on Him. And it's always like that. Sheldon's alluded to this a few times this morning, but it's always like that, that when God is moving, the enemy will counterattack with, and, and he will do it in ways that is visible. And often the move of the kingdom is not so visible. It's moving often in things that we cannot always see, but God is moving. And so my message this morning is simply entitled, The Time Is Now. The Time Is Now. God is saying, He's saying, Church, arise. The time is now. And I want to say to you that before I even begin the message, that to the degree that you respond to the Word of God in your life, this will be a reality for you. To the degree that you receive the Word of God regarding this for yourself, this will become a reality in your life. You will begin to walk this out by faith in action. So I want us to turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 18. And um, I've, I've going to preach quite a short message. Just in preparation, Erin and I were chatting this week and just with all of the stuff that's brewing in the heart of the church, we're just saying, you know what, I'm just going to keep this short and sweet because we don't know how, long, how much time we're going to have. And I'm going to keep it short and sweet because I think the key messages this morning are really simple, really, really simple. And I just believe God is saying to us to receive what he wants to say to us this morning. So Genesis chapter 18, we encounter... David, I mean, David, sure, I'm in the wrong place. We encounter Abraham and Sarah. We've encountered them a number of times in their story already as God has spoken to them in a number of ways on the journey that he has taken them on. And this is also a journey. I want you to understand the journey of Abraham and Sarah. This is a journey of bringing hope to a hopeless world. This is a journey of God saying, I need to send a savior into this world. I need to send and launch a rescue mission into this world. Because in this world that was busy unfolding, already even again after the fall, I mean after the flood, what has happened is the world has become more and more wicked again, just like before the flood. It said that before the flood, it was so wicked that powerful men would just take any woman and do with them what they wanted. That's what happened. And it sounds like our society is almost like that. 
But after the flood, these same patterns began to emerge. And God is saying, I'm going to send a rescue mission into the world. And I need to begin somewhere. He needs to begin with someone. And God is saying the same thing to you this morning. He needs to begin with someone. Somewhere he has to start. God doesn't just work through angels. God works through people. And, and that man that leads that choir, I don't even know what his name is, but somewhere, and I don't know what, what his team is and what the other people are around him, but at least I know of him that I think he responded to a call of God in his life and said, I'm going to stand in the gap for people who, are, who have no hope. And he had to do something. So we find Abraham and Sarah, God has got a mission for their life, but we find them in an interesting part in this journey that they are on. It's 25 years into the journey that they have walked with the Lord. And I want us to just read these verses, and then I'm going to share some very brief thoughts about them. So it says, Now the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Marmor. And while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day, when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves and that after that you may go since you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said quickly, Prepare three measures of flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd, and he took a tender choice calf, and he gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. He took the curds and the milk and the calf which he had, which he had prepared and placed it before them. And he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, Look in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child? When I am so old, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you. At this time next year, Sarah will have a son. It's the word of the Lord, I believe, to us, church. And I believe to our nation. And this first point that I want to make this morning is we find Abraham in the heat of the day. And I believe we find here Abraham maybe in a bit of a state of disillusionment. I wouldn't say he is a defeated man, but I think there's something expressed in this statement and in his words that shows that Abraham is a man who has maybe begin or begun to wonder about the promises of God for his life. He is 99 years old, folks. For 25 years, he has heard the word of God that he would have his own son by his wife, Sarah. And this is another day going by, just another day. He's worked hard in the morning. And he's sitting in the heat of the day by the tent. And it's just another day. And I wonder if he's pondering. He's pondering, I wonder when God will do the things God has said he would do. I wonder if it's going to happen to me, really, all the things that God has promised. 
And immediately three men appeared to him. The Lord, Jesus Christ incarnate, pre-incarnate Christ, and two angels appeared to Abraham. He immediately recognizes the Lord because he has seen him before. And he says to them, and listen to the words he says to them. If now I have found favor with you, please don't pass away from me. And I think what that expresses about Abraham is this is a man that has maybe begun to doubt the things of God, the promises of God. He hasn't given up on them. But remember, God has told him many, many times, Abraham, you are highly favored. And he says, Abraham, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be a shield to you and you'll become a, multi a nation of multitudes. But in this moment, on this day, as he meets the Lord in this moment, he says, Lord, if now I have found favor with you. No, Abraham, you found favor with the Lord many years before. In fact, the favor you found with the Lord is not your favor. It is because you had faith in the Lord and the Lord looked to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he said, I will give favor. I will give righteousness to Abraham because he has believed in my sacrifice. It's not his own favor. He doesn't have to earn it with the Lord. But Abraham is in a state of wrestling. He's wondering because he doesn't see in reality the things God has said. He can't see it in his life. And so he's wondering, if now, Lord, maybe I've found favor with the Lord. But notice how Abraham responds to the Lord. That even in his state of struggle and wrestle on this day, one of many days as he's waited and waited upon the Lord, notice how he responds to the Lord. It says that when, he, when the Lord said, yes, you can, you can serve us, what does Abraham do? He hurries in the middle of the day. He's 99 years old and he hurries into the tent. He says to Sarah, quickly prepare a meal. He runs to go and find a, a sheep or a goat or a heifer. He says to them, quickly prepare. Even though Abraham is finding himself in this state where maybe he is wondering about the things of God, whether or not God is going to come through for him, whether or not God is going to do the speak and do the promises that he's spoken. Regardless of that, Abraham is quick to serve God, quick to worship God, quick to respond to the Lord. I wonder with us, I wonder with me, if, if I was in his shoes, whether I wouldn't have said to the Lord, Lord, if you could do what you've told me you were going to do, maybe then I'll get you something to eat. Could you first, let's just first settle all this stuff. You've been saying this for 25 years, Lord. You've been talking about me having a son for 25 years. And here you arrive at my door again. Now, so let's just stop right here. Before you go any further, can you now do what you said you'd do? And then maybe you can come in and eat with my wife and I. That's how many Christians would respond to the Lord. That's not how Abraham responds. Abraham hurries to serve the Lord. Even though he is discouraged, even though he might have been losing faith, he does not stop to worship God because he is a true worshiper of God. You see, a true worshiper of God worships God because God is God. That's it. He worships God because God is God. Any other attitude of the heart towards God is self-worship. It's saying I will worship God when it suits me because I can get something from Him. My friend, if you think about your worship with God in that way, it is false worship. You worship God because He deserves to be worshipped. That's the only reason we worship God. And so Abraham is quick. He responds quickly to the Lord. But I want you to notice the question that the Lord asks Abraham in this moment. He says to him, where is Sarah, your wife? 
It's an interesting question. Because God often asks this question. Have you noticed that? What did God ask Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, where are you? What did God ask Cain? Where is Abel your brother? What did God ask Hagar just earlier on in the story when Hagar runs away from Sarah because she mistreats her? What is when God encounters Hagar on the road, he asks Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Do you think God does not know the answer to these questions? Do you think God needs a GPS? He has, he has some problem with finding out the location of people in the world. No. I want you to notice this question. This is not a question about location. This is a question about relationship. He wants to know where do you stand in relation to your wife, Sarah? Where is that relationship with your wife, Sarah? And I think that there's a good chance that Abram and Sarah, even at this stage, there was some tension in their marriage. There was some tension in their marriage. Already God, Abraham cried out to God. He said, I don't have a child. This woman's barren. I don't have a child. Someone else is going to inherit all my possessions. And God says, no, no, you're going to have a son. Okay. Trust the Lord. The Lord says that again. They, Abraham and Sarah get together. They're like, I don't know if God's going to do this. I don't know if he can do this. Let's just, you have a child with Hagar. You have a child with her and Hagar falls pregnant and has a child, Ishmael. Can you imagine how much more the tension now is between Abraham and Sarah? Already once, Abraham has rejected Sarah as being his wife because he was afraid of losing his life. And he would do it again after this. A pattern in this man's life. And God is asking him, where is your wife? Where is your relationship with your wife? I wonder if Abraham hasn't said to the Lord like, like Adam did. Remember what Adam said? This woman who you gave to me. That's the classic response. When anything goes wrong in a marriage, first thing you say to God is, Lord, this woman who you gave to me. And, and in my human logic, I would think the same way. I would say to God, Lord, take the Lord aside one side. Just a private moment. No, no, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about Abraham. I'm saying if I was in Abraham's shoes. Shoo, dodge a bullet. You see, usually, usually Roxy is out running after Levi, but thankfully, praise the Lord, he's in Sunday school today. So I have to be careful what I say. I'm sure Abraham could have taken the Lord aside. Abraham could have taken the Lord aside and said, Lord, you said that you're going to make me the father of a multitude. So then why did you give me a woman who can't have children? This woman who you gave to me, this is my problem. I could be that. In my logic, I would say, if God wanted me to be the father of many, my wife should be very fertile. We should have had children already when she was 20 years old and just keep going. I mean, that's logic says to me, that's the way to do it. But not for God. God doesn't work the way that we think he should work. God works through faith, and we'll see how that looks in a moment. So, so God, the Lord asks Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? And notice his response. In the Hebrew, his response is literally this. Look in the tent. That's what he says. It expresses something of what's in his heart. Look in the tent. Because maybe there's some tension there. But then the Lord begins to speak again about the purpose that exists between Abraham and Sarah. This relationship that God has established 
not out of their own will, but for the purposes of God in this world. And it's the same purposes that God set into the world when he made Adam and Eve. When he said, it is not good for a man to be alone. But these two together, they will be strong. They will be able to bring my kingdom into this world. And I just believe that this morning, in the light of the things that we have spoken about, I want to put a challenge out to every man in this church. I want to ask you, where is your sister in Christ? Is she safe? Is she being taken care of? Because unless the men of God rise up and answer this question, the world will not know how to answer this question. And God, God is asking every man to say, where is your sister? Because you cannot do what God has called you to do alone. The mission of God on this world is through relationship and first of all, relationship between men and women. For healed, healthy relationship. More than anything, and I always preach this if I preach at someone's wedding. I always preach to them. I say to them, your marriage is the greatest opportunity you have to show Christ to the world. That is the greatest chance you'll get. If you mess it up in your marriage, you will have no other chance to really show the world what Christ's love looks like. And then your children after that. So I want to call on the men to say this morning, where is your sister? I want to just tell a quick story. When um, we were pastoring, Roxy and I were pastoring the church in Simonstown, there was an incident where one of the ladies in the church, a couple in our church, ladies started to reach out to me and express to me that she's very fearful because her husband is very abusive, becoming increasingly verbally abusive to her. And um, he's involved in all sorts of nefarious activities. And she's aware of these activities, but he has told her that if anybody in the church finds out about these activities, he will kill her. Now, he was about six foot six, and she was tiny. And more and more, she became fearful of her life. And she was you know, sending me WhatsApp messages, and, and occasionally we were talking, but she was getting more and more fear, fearful. And we sat down with her once, and, and after that, I sat down with the elders, and I said to them, we have a, we have a church to be in relationship with in, in Grayton. We have a strong relationship with them. And I said, we're going to... She's agreed to this. She's said that she wants to do this. We're going to take her one morning and we're going to take her away out of her house so we can confront him, so we can deal with him without her being in the picture. So one morning, one of the elders loaded her in a car and we drove her to Grayton and he didn't know where she went and um, a group of ladies in that church took care of her for about more than a month. She stayed there and just took care of her. And in the conversation leading up to that, I remember we had this conversation. We said, what if we're making a mistake? And I said to the elders, I would rather look like the fool in this than look like the one who didn't act when there was danger. And so I want to say to us all as men and women as well, we need to act where we see opportunity for danger. We need to protect one another. We need to answer this question. Where is Sarah? Where is your sister in Christ? Because God's plan for Abram and Sarah was not individualistic. It was a plan that would happen and take shape through the relationship that they would have with one another. And I believe there's a restoration that God is doing in the church in relationships there's a restoration of even the role that women play in the church. In many cases and, and still in many contexts, women's role in the church is often suppressed. Not in this church. Because we don't, we don't minister according to gender. You know, there's someone who was asked, do you allow women to preach in your church? And he said, I do not allow any woman to preach in my church. Nor do I allow any man to preach in my church. I only allow the Holy Spirit to preach in my church because that's the answer we minister by the power of the spirit we are not male or female black or white young or old 
It is the Spirit of God working in and through us, which is how we minister. And then there's the last point I want to make. It's what the angel, the Lord says to Abraham and Sarah. He says to them, this time next year, your wife will have a son. And Sarah laughs about it. I don't blame her. I think I would have laughed as well. She laughs. She says, well, my husband and I have pleasure even at this age. But when Isaac was born, do you know that the people couldn't stop Sarah from laughing? She couldn't stop laughing. She was so full of joy of what God was able to do when the word of God changes someone's life. So the angel says to the angel of the Lord says to them this time next year, is anything too difficult for the Lord at the appointed time? I will return to you. Now that word appointed time in the Greek translation of the old Testament, the word that's used there in the Greek is the Greek word Kairos. And the word kairos does not mean time as in just the passing of time. The word kairos means that there's a time which God sets by his divine ordination. There's a time of God that is a time that is outside of our control or our measure or our, our function in this world. It's a time that God sets. And when that time comes, no one can stop God from doing what God is going to do. And I want to say to you, church, I believe God is saying the time is now. The time is now. Nobody is going to stop God to do what he has promised he's going to do. But there is a part that we have to play. There is a little part that we have to play. So for Abraham and Sarah, they had to do something. I mean, Sarah laughs about it. She says, are we going to have pleasure? Sorry, this, now it goes 2 to 16 for anyone or PG. So I, I don't want to give too much details, but I think you guys know where I'm getting at. That with Abraham and Sarah, so just remember it's a different story. Jesus, immaculate conception, okay, virgin birth. Isaac, not immaculate conception, okay. Do you know what I'm saying? They actually had to do something to have a child, okay. So I want you to understand this. The Lord says this time next year you have a son. That means they have three months. They have three months to do the job. They have three months to do that. Now as far as jobs go to do, this is probably one of the better sort of jobs you can be saddled with but nonetheless nonetheless they had to actually do it their faith had to take action through their love for one another and their faith would then fertilize the word of God to produce a child their faith in action fertilized and produced a child who would become the child through whom Jesus Christ would come into this world so this is going to sound a little corny, but I want you to just follow me on this because I really believe this is what the Lord is saying to us. So just as they had, they had a word from the Lord and they had faith, but they had to act on their faith. We've been learning about this in James a lot. Faith without actions dead. The acting out of their faith was actually in the relationship between one another. They had to restore the intimacy of relationship if it wasn't there. It sounds like it wasn't because she says, shall we have pleasure in this age? Maybe there wasn't an intimate relationship between them. They had to restore relationship and then act upon that. And their love is the act of faith that produced a child that would become Christ, would be the one who would lead to Christ. We today, the body of Christ, we are described as the body of Christ. We are, we are that son. We are the son of the promise. And it is through our love for one another in the body that we put action to our faith which will produce 
in us and in the church and in the world, the incarnation of Christ in this world. Where Christ becomes so tangible in the world that people cannot resist coming to him. Because of the relationship that exists between us, it becomes a reality. I want you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 17. If you don't believe me, look at what Jesus says about this. Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. And in this prayer, it reveals his heart and purpose for the cross. I'm sorry, I haven't put this up on the screen. So John chapter 17, I'm going to read from verse 22. I apologize for not having it up there. So I'll read it, I'll read it carefully. The glory which you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. What is the purpose of Christ coming and dying on the cross? I believe the ultimate purpose is for God to be united to a people who are united to him. And it says in those verses that when the church begins to look like this, the whole world will look at the church and know who Jesus is. That's revival. The whole world will look at the church and know who Jesus is by the way that we love one another, by the way that we live out our faith in love. And going back to that video clip um, of that choir and that director, like I said, I don't know the team that's around him. I don't know if he's on his own, but one thing I picked up from the interviews that they do, and you can go watch it beforehand, is that, um, yes, that guy is obviously gifted in music, and he came to teach the music, but I think those kids are just gifted themselves. He probably learned more from them than, than he could teach them. But here's what made the difference. It wasn't that he knew music. It wasn't that he went to a particular place on a mission. It wasn't anything else but that he loved God and those children. That's what made the difference. And because of his love, he could see through their circumstances to something greater that God had purposed. And I believe that the Lord is saying that to us. He's saying to us, and, and Tony spoke about this morning, about the sacrifices that we need to make in our worship to God. One of them is giving. One of them is our love relationship for one another. Brotherly love. The way that we care for each other. And I believe God is saying we need to step it up. The time is now. The time is now to say, where is my sister? Where is that child? Where is it that I need to be in relationship with people? And maybe there are relationships already, but God is saying to you, how do you know what's going on in that person's life right now? Are you aware? Are you connected to them? Are you caring for them? Not to get anything out of it, but simply for them, for them to be lifted up, for them to be encouraged. Let's pray. I don't know if we want to, yeah, let's pray. I want to pray for us first.
I really believe that God is speaking this over our nation, over our church, over us as individuals. And there are promises that God has given us that many of us are still waiting for those promises to become a reality. It was interesting, even in Job's life, as Job began to pray for his friends, his situation turned. As Abraham prayed for other people to have children, he had a son. Something has to shift in us where we stop looking just at myself and my own concerns and what matters to me and we start to look at the kingdom of God, which is about other people. And start to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. Shift our attention. God is calling us. God is calling us to step up. The time is now. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here, every mandate, Lord, that you have put upon each one of us and upon this church and upon this nation. Lord, one of the mandates of this nation is to show Christ to the world through people coming together and being united who are different, who shouldn't be united, but they are united. Why? Because of Christ. And I want to pray that over us, Lord. That's not going to happen somewhere in a pipe dream, but it's going to happen in a reality as we do it with one another in relationship to one another. And so I pray over each of us, Lord, this morning. Would you ignite the mandate you've put inside of us? Would you stir it up within us to look out for our brother and our sister, to know where they are, to care about them, Lord? I pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you for that word. It's for us to hold on to. I just want to say one thing quickly. It's, Tony's got something. Ray's got something. Errol's got something. A line I heard this week was that, is that, you see, God will never instruct you. He will father you. You see, now, we're going to hear from fathers. So they're not telling you. You better do this. It's, an inst- it's not an instruction. It's a wooing, a drawing. Heed my voice. Listen to my instruction in a way of love that woos you to do and go for it. Come on, Raymond. I've got something I felt God really stirred me about. And in the worship, I wrote it down and I just deleted it. So I'm going to pray, God, just let's be quiet. Just pray. I think Satan didn't want me to bring this. So I'm, now I'm very nervous. But let's just pray. I just felt as we worshiped this morning, I looked around and God encouraged me to encourage you to look around and see the trophies of grace what God has done around us and rejoice in what God has done. Delight in the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross that has made us new people. God, when we came to know him, captured our hearts, won us to himself. And then God then, I then said, I've been thinking a lot as you have of the evil around State capture is the word that flies around. And God said to me, don't be surprised because of the evil in the world. Don't be surprised. You can be moved. You can be changed in your heart. You can be stirred in your heart, but don't be surprised. But then God said, what should surprise you if that state capture has happened to your heart? Is your heart now being captured by something that's not given to Jesus? Have you allowed things through disappointment, 
like Abraham, through discouragement, through pain, people have hurt you, as Satan captured your heart from when you're running well. And God would say to us this morning, turn to him, because it's a travesty of our hearts have been captured away from loving Jesus, or away from loving one another, away from a pure life. God also says, said to me, it's also a travesty where state capture has happened in his body. That, that devastates the heart of God when his body, and I don't want this to be a heavy thing, but I just think, again, it's, it's important for us to see that we, through the church, are to be the salt and light. God wants to raise us up as a people who will demonstrate and call out the love of God, call out the love in one another, call out where there's wrong. God says his church is to be a city on a hill, a city that's not hidden, a city that demonstrates the love of God. That's what God's calling us out to this morning, reminding us this morning. God will say to us, if there are broken walls, by God's grace, by his love, fix them. If there are broken walls of not honoring one another, if there's broken walls of not loving one another, that's, that wall needs to be broke, repaired so we can be a city that's on a hill. A city that's demonstrating the love of Jesus. If there's a broken wall in our hearts of love for money, lust, other things, you know, I don't want the eye in your heart. I know what they are in my heart. And I want them to be I want that broken wall in my heart to be healed again and come back to the cross. And God says to us this morning. And just receive it as a, a word from God. It's not a heavy, well, it maybe is a heavy thing. Maybe it needs to be. But God will say to us this morning, give your heart back to the king. Let him capture your heart again. Church, give the church back to the king. Let Jesus capture it again. So we have a role to play, as we've been hearing this morning, to love, to demonstrate, to show to show who Jesus is, the love of Jesus. So I think we've got, I just felt, we like lanes here, felt those two lanes of our hearts being recaptured by the King and our life together as a community to be restored, broken walls, mend them. Things wrong, deal with them. And we can be a salt and light, city on a hill, a place for refuge, people who are hurting, and in pain, a place people can come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I, I just, I want you to just close your eyes and think of this. I want to read two verses out of Timothy of something that you can begin to do from this day in your relationships with everyone else that you meet that is a Christian, but specifically for us is in this church. The scripture is this. Paul giving instructions to Timothy, 
And he's saying, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters with all purity. I'm going to start with the last. Young men in this church, don't look at the young women the way that the world looks at them. See them as your sisters. Not as a sex object. For the younger women, don't look at the young men the way that the world looks at them. See them as brothers in the family of God. See the older men as fathers that need to be encouraged instead of speaking disparagingly about them or rebuking them in an ungodly way. There are ways that the Lord instructs on how to do things when leaders and fathers do the wrong things. Look at the older women as mothers. What is the Lord about? He's saying that we need to understand that the community of God can only be built by us recognizing the older ones as mothers and fathers in the faith and the younger ones as sisters and brothers in the faith. It's about restoring honor in the way we see one another. That's a practical outworking of what Ray spoke about, a practical outworking of asking God to bring us through to the birth of the new thing God wants to do amongst us. Thanks. Amen. Thank you. We're going to wrap this up, but there's a few things we just want to frame for this morning. Benjamin R. Day, in April 2016, he shared a word, word to the nation. He said that many will interfere and stir, and stir up, and there will be uphill in this nation. He says there will be, through that, a calmness that God will place over this nation. There will be groups that will come about and be violent. He says, but in that time, God's saints will be in the places that God has sent them and protect them. God will cause a defusing to take place in this situation because God has heard the prayers of the saints. In this nation, the enemy is trying to do a work of division, but God has started a work. And because of that, he's calling out for blood. I know Tony shared, and through someone who shared a prophetic word, that, that there's a sacrifice that is needed and it's the blood that has been called out. And so through what we've seen and heard, in actual fact, what was quite alarming is that every 30 minutes, someone is murdered in, in South Africa. Every four hours, a woman is raped or murdered or, or abused. Joanne shared a word that she says that our nation is in mourning. She heard God speak and says there's a sound in heaven and the notes are being played out. There's a, there's a call out and it's called the clarion call of God that demands an action. In the midst over the past few months, God is turning the tables. So we need to look and separate on what we see in the news. And we've got to separate and understand that God is at work in this continent. That God is at work in Africa. I'm going to put this out there. It's not by chance that we've seen some leaders pass on at a strategic time. God is busy. He's not a God to be mocked. 
in our nation. We are seeing an uprooting of things in our justice system, in the midst of what we are feeling and sensing. And for the first time in a while, we can sense that there is a move of God that is flooding our nation. You can sense it. Joanne, through what God has shared with her, has said that every beat that is going out into the city through what God is saying, God is calling our names. The church is called to be holy, to seek Him. In the midst of what we're seeing in the xenophobia and everything else in Isaiah 60, God gave her a word and it says, Nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. To you the riches of the nations will come. Foreigners will re rebuild your walls. So don't be surprised of what we are seeing. And yes, there's xenophobic attacks. And we, we as a church are saying, we hear that, we see that. But in the spirit, we are saying, God is at work. The enemy is feeling unsettled. It's like he's trying to wiggle out and trying to maneuver the loss of what he can possibly do to, to discourage you and to call you as, and for, for church and especially in the church to create a despondency. And we are called out to stand firm. To stand and be counted. To do what God has asked us through his word all the time. He says, keep on doing, doing. And we don't do it out of works. Please don't, understand, don't misrepresent what I'm saying. God is calling us out to be the salt. To be the light. To go out there and shine in the way that God has called us to. I'm going to call Ilana and we're going to wrap this up. And then we're just going to close with two declarations. Nobody else is going to share. And then we're going to just wrap this up. Thanks. Good morning. <clears throat> it all came to me this week and asked me if I would share something um, with the church this morning. So I want to start out by saying I respect men. I want to start out by saying I love men. I honor you. And that's where, that's where I want to come from, from that point this morning. I am going to share a little bit, very short bit of my, my story because I want to end, up, uh, end off with hope. You know, I asked God, what is he doing? You know, when we see all of this, what is God doing? And God said, I'm busy healing your land. <laughs> when you see this, I'm busy healing your land. What we see in the natural looks like chaos. But remember, God's kingdom is upside down. And what he's doing is he's healing our land. He's healing our people. So, sexist comments... I thought it was the least of my problems as a girl and a young woman growing up. Yet, it had the deepest and largest negative impact on my self-worth, identity, and self-esteem. It was everywhere. I could, not, I could never escape it. It was in my home. It was in my school classrooms. It was on the playground. It was among my friends. It was in my church. It was on the sport fields. Among my family, it was on holiday, on the beach, in the shops, in the streets, in the pubs, in the restaurants, the bars, and the public transport. I could never escape it. The belief I carried for most of my young life that I was cursed as a woman. I was a sexual object and I better shape up and look the part because my worth is in what men think about me and 100% in my appearance. I loved running. I'm bare feet here. I'm most comfortable like this. <laughs> I was kidding. I love the look of shoes, but I do not like wearing them. I'm a free state girl. What can I say? 
Tolfutlungi. <coughs> I even ran like this up into matric. So I loved being barefoot. I loved running and was a long distance runner for most of my school and uni years. The sad reality was that putting on my shoes to go for a long run always came with a level of anxiety. Something I cannot count, something, I cannot count the times I was out on the road for a long run and had to endure the most awful sexist comments from passers-by. A man walking past, a group of boys on their bikes, a car with men slowing down and hurling insults. Whenever I saw potential danger, anxiety gripped me. I could feel a knot in my stomach. How will I respond? How should I respond? Should I respond? Should I smile? What should I do? I could not even run away from this constant thing. I couldn't even go for a run. When I got saved, God started a healing work in me. And he used a man, Anton. A man who loved me, accepted me, honored me, respected me for who I was. He was the first man I ever met who never commented on my weight, who never commented on what I looked like except encouraging me. He was the first man who just loved me for who I was. To heal my heart, a man who accepted me was given to me. There's a healing power in men loving, honoring, and empowering women to be women. With God's call on our lives, Anton and I, we have made our business to work in love to root out these evils in our places of influence. And change starts where we are at home, in your home, with your family. Um, Job had three daughters. He called, um, he, had, he had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Kiran Apuk. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. We purposefully called our daughter Kieran because we believe that she has an inheritance alongside her brother in the kingdom of God. And we purposefully pursued that name because that is what we believe for her alongside her brother. And so we started at home because my daughter, our daughter, will believe that she is valued, honored, respected, and that God loves her for who she is. She's not to be shamed. She's not an object of sex. She has a purpose and a destiny alongside her beautiful brother. In the church, in the workplace, in the community, once I just had to endure it, and I sometimes try to run away from it, but no more. Today I can stand here and say I'm proud to be a woman. 
Today I can stand here and say that I love men and I understand that a lot of men are hurting. Today I can stand here and say that when I see evil like what we are seeing, I run straight for it and I don't run away from it. Today I can stand here and say I will do everything in my power, everything that God has gifted me with, to speak up, to speak up, to speak out and to call the destiny of boys and girls, men and women and children. I will speak out because every single one of us sitting here has a destiny and a purpose. And I want to tell you, whether you're a boy, whether you're a girl, a man or a woman, you have a destiny and a purpose and you are, in, you are equal in God's eyes. In His in kingdom, we are all equal and you carry that value. My question to you today is, what does it look like in your home? My question today is, do you value, love, honor, and respect your wife and your children? And women, do you do the same? It starts at home. And then, what do we do in our church? How do we comment? What do we, what do we look at? How do we look at women in our church community, in our community, at your workplace? What do you do when other men joke about women? What do you do when somebody sends you a sexist WhatsApp? What do you do about it? What do you do? I, for one, am not running away anymore. I, for one, am not scared of any scheme the devil has. Because I, for one, was there. And I'm healed. And I can say I love and respect all people. No matter your color, your race, or your gender. And I want to encourage you. If you need to seek forgiveness from God. Do it. If you sit here today and you feel like, you know what? I've belittled my wife because she is a woman. I've belittled my daughter or my, my son because they are children. If you sit here today and you know in your deepest hearts of hearts that you've got a problem in this area, today is the day to change. It only takes, I'm, I'm here because of God's grace. And I want to say to you, it only takes one step of faith to say, Lord, I surrender and I'm sorry. God will bring healing to your heart. He will bring healing to your home. He will bring healing to your workplace. He will bring healing to this church. He will bring healing to the church in this nation. I want to say that you can do this. <laughs> it's not impossible to change. And if you're sitting here this morning and you feel like, I'm harboring bitterness. I'm harboring hatred towards men. Or someone in my life who was supposed to protect me, yet they failed. There's healing for you. Because see, sexism and sexist comments were just the least of my problems. There were many other things that were actually much bigger. But this was a constant. So I want to thank you for your time and just want to say that you can change the world around you. One person in front of you, just love them. Give them the dignity they deserve as a child of God. Amen. I'm going to ask Bala just to put out that image, and then I just want to close, and we're going to stand, and we're going to just declare over our city and over our lives, and we're going to close in this way because we believe that God's word is the ultimate. So please stand. Please stand.
That's right. And so, just to help you along, that today, and I like what some people might be thinking, is this just about women? No. This has got everything to do about our communities and the Word of God and the purposes of God. So please understand this. So, Matt, is the young people, or the, is the youth here? You guys going to come through? Okay. So we're going to declare. If they want to come in, let them come in. Eh? If it's good. Yeah. So where it says I, can I ask that to change it to we? And uh, we're going to speak God's word over us and over our lives and over our city. Now please understand this today. That when we walk away here, we are called to action. That for, for us as a church, we said enough is enough. And we are putting our voices into the heavenlies. Because that's where it counts the most. And through this, we're asking you, wherever you are in your workplace, where you're in a retirement place, whether you are just in your street or in your community, there's something that God is nudging at your heart to do. Just reach one person. Just be there for a neighbor. Just listen and help in that way. So let's, let's just do this together. Lord, we come to you with this prayer for our land. You promise that when your people pray, humble themselves and seek you you will hear and answer you even promise healing in the land lord our land needs healing and we believe it starts with us we humble ourselves before you right here right now we're seeking your face we ask you to grant us a repentant spirit so we may be an instrument that ushers in your blessing to this nation. Amen. Last one. Let's do this together again. Lord, your blessing has been upon this nation, and we thank you for your kind mercies. Your word says, the blessed nation is the one whose God is the Lord, and our nation has turned from you. God, on behalf of our nation, we confess our disregard of you. Bring your people to repentance and let this nation once again be one who calls you, Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that today, Lord, it's your will to be done. Thank you, Father God, for speaking to us. We pray that in every heart that we take, oh, Father God, the seed that has been planted. And Lord, you are so true to your word that you will make sure that it grows. Protect each and every one. Give us an amazing and a blessed week. Lord, we commit all of this to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a blessed week. God bless you.